I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the prophet Zephaniah. The prophet Zephaniah will be reading together Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. You could find Zephaniah in the minor prophets there towards the end of the New Testament after Habakkuk and just before Haggai. And Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 17 is our scripture reading and our focus this morning. Before we read and hear God's word proclaim, let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we're thankful for your holy word, thankful for being a God who speaks. Lord, we see your beauty and the creation around us, and you speak to us about your power and your glory and your beauty and the things that have been made. We thank you especially for your holy word, which reveals to us your very heart, reveals to us the gospel of your Son, the words that we need, O Lord, to be saved, to be encouraged, to be strengthened in our faith as Christians. So this morning we pray that you would nourish our faith and edify us by your word. We pray as well, Lord, that you would draw the hearts of uh, those who are here or listening in, Lord, to follow Jesus Christ, that you might be glorified in the salvation of your people as you continue to grow us in Christ. Hear our prayers again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. The word of God says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. Indeed, this is God's holy word. May he write it on our hearts this morning. Well, why does God command us to sing as Christians? You know, singing is a big part of our worship together as God's people, Already in this morning worship service, we've sung another, a number of hymns and psalms uh, together. And throughout the Bible, we see that God's people have always been a singing people. In fact, the largest book in the Old Testament, right, is the book of the Psalms, where God allows us to bring these prayers and these songs before him, expressing our whole range of human emotions. Psalms that allow us to sing for joy, to sing with thanksgiving, and psalms that allow us to sing to God with lament and even with downcast hearts. That God wants us to express all that we are before him as his people. And moreover, music allows us uh, to have God's word even sink deeper into our hearts. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, was himself passionately committed to spreading the gospel and also to spreading the word of God through music. And he said in his typical Luther fashion, these words. He says, I have no use for cranks who despise music because it is a gift of God. Music drives away the devil and makes people merry. They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. Music is so important because when we sing, our hearts are joined to God in his truth in an even deeper way. And we're able to give sound and voice even to the affections of our heart. 
Isn't it true that sometimes in the busyness of the week, we don't always process things that are going on inside before God. But when we come into this place of worship and we begin to sing to God, our hearts begin to bubble over and we find ourselves again refocused on God and those things that were Mary buried on the inside are coming out again. Well, this morning, beloved, Zephaniah summons the people of God to praise him. And he calls the people of God here to rejoice greatly in God, even in the midst of dark and difficult circumstances. And this morning, we want to think about why it is we sing as God's people. And so as we look at this part of Zephaniah, we're first going to consider this call to rejoice and the nature of this call to rejoice. And then we're going to consider a few reasons why we are called to rejoice. And then we will see, God willing, the Lord who rejoices over his people. May God strengthen us by his word to praise him with all that we are. Verse 14, we see there the beginning of this call to rejoice. Again, we read, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The first thing about this call to rejoice is that it is unexpected. It's unexpected. If you have read the book of Zephaniah up until this point, it's a very, very dark book. Consider the opening verses of the prophecy in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 1. God says, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. This is a catastrophic and cosmic judgment that God is about to unleash. Here, God really speaks of the undoing of his creation. These words kind of echo Genesis 1 and the very good creation that God speaks of there. He's saying, now I'm going to undo it, and this judgment is falling on all mankind. And this is not just judgment for the bad people out there, but God says this judgment is going to fall on his people in part. The Lord says in verse 4, of chapter 1, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. See, Zephaniah was a prophet during the time of Josiah, who probably lived in Jerusalem and prophesied just before Josiah's reforms. You remember, Josiah was a good king, but you remember, even in that time, God's people struggled to obey the Lord. The northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen in 722 BC because of their sins. And now the southern kingdom of Judah is about to face the same judgment because they're following the same path of disobedience. And indeed, they would face God's judgment when the Babylonians would destroy Jerusalem in 586 BC. And so for a season, you see, God would let his own people taste his judgments. And these judgments are announced in Zephaniah chapter 1, 2, and three. But in the midst of these judgments that are spoken of, out of nowhere, it seems, Zephaniah begins to speak this word of hope and blessing that's going to come, not just on the people of Israel, but upon all the nations of the earth. Verse uh, 15 of, of this chapter, um, chapter three, God says, my determination is to gather the nations. I will restore the peoples a pure language that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. 
the Lord has purposed to restore the nations, and so he calls his own people to sing and to shout and to rejoice because he will save them. And verse 15 says of our text, he will take away their judgments. You see, the prophet here is looking forward to that day when God would remove the judgment upon his people, a day when he would save them and free them from their enemies. And the people of God, you see, were to sing in anticipation of that great deliverance to come. They were to sing as if it was already there because God's word was so certain to come to pass. And dear brothers and sisters, as the Christian church today, we could see how this passage applies to us as well. We are comforted as we see God faithful even to this word, faithful to his people, and ultimately sending to us Jesus Christ. This morning, God calls us to sing to him because he has taken away the judgments that were on not only Judah and Israel, but upon us when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. See, in Christ, our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And the remnant who were trusting in the Messiah to come were looking forward to that day of Jesus. And we as the church are looking back, remembering God's faithfulness and goodness in Christ. And so we sing even as we look back at the cross and we sing even as we look forward to our future and final deliverance. And so this call to rejoice here in Zephaniah, it's unexpected because it comes in the midst of these judgments. But this call as well is also a call to excessive praise. It's unexpected and it's a call to excessive praise. The people of God here are called to sing, to shout, to greatly rejoice in God. These are terms that highlight the kind of extravagant worship God desires from his people because he lavishes upon us such an extravagant salvation. You know, you and I as people are able to give excessive praise when we're excited about something, aren't we? I'm not sure if your team, the Eagles or the Chiefs are, you know, in the Super Bowl, but we all got our favorite sports teams, football or baseball or hockey. And what do we do when our team, you know, wins the big game, whether it be the Super Bowl or the Stanley Cup? What do we do? We become less reformed, right? We become a little more Pentecostal. There's more clapping, dancing, cheering, high fives, right? Uh, we, we get out of our little bubble and we, 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 we celebrate. We celebrate the victory of our team, right? What happens when that team wins and, and the, you know, the camera is in the locker room? You see the team popping champagne, celebrating their victory together. And God is saying to us this morning, how much more should we be celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ? Because the kind of salvation that God bestows upon his people is the kind of salvation that leads to extravagant praise. And God says to his people, sing, sing with all of your heart. And he calls them as well to shout, uh, this word shout, it's actually very rich. We know what that word means, right? To shout, but it's actually very rich in the Old Testament. Uh, this was a shout that was often associated with the battle cry when the people engaged in war. As Israel saw the enemies of God around them, they were to shout to God, their warrior king. Consider a few verses here. Joshua chapter 6, verse 10. God commanded the people when they went up against Gerto to shout. 
First, he says this, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out from your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. And again, in Second Chronicles 13, we read this, And when Judah looked, behold, the battle was in front of, uh, in front of and behind them, and they cried to the Lord, and the priests blew the trumpets. Then the men of Judah raised the battle shout. And when the men of Judah shouted, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. You see, in the face of enemies, the people were to lift up their battle cry to God. And soon, you see, Judah is about to have real enemies before their eyes. And God is saying to them, I want you in the midst of this judgment to shout to me, God, your warrior king, because I will be in your midst. And today for the church of Jesus Christ, it's still the day of shouting, isn't it? It's a day where we still have enemies around us. You know, our own sin, sickness, spiritual threats, illness, persecution against the church, as we even prayed for this morning. And when we come to church feeling vulnerable in this world and even attacked, God says, I want you to lift up your cries to me. Lift up your shout to me because I am your God. I am your warrior king. And so this call to rejoice, it's unexpected. It's a call uh, to excessive praise. And the people of God were told, were called to greatly rejoice in God. Sing, shout, and greatly rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem. Uh, this last call carries with the imagery of someone spinning around and dancing in celebration. Again, this excessive and unashamed worship that God calls us to is because he is a God who bestows upon us such a great salvation. In the Old Testament, we see King David dancing before God in celebration in 2 Samuel 6. And sure, people did look at him as a little funny in that text, including Saul's daughter, but we're told God was pleased with his worship. In the New Testament, in Luke chapter 7, we see a sinful woman who is forgiven and who is there at Jesus' feet, and she was weeping over Jesus' feet. She was wiping his feet with her tears and with her hair in the presence of other people. She even kissed his feet and anointed them. This was intimate. This was personal. This was unashamed worship that flowed from a heart that knew God's grace. And in the Bible, beloved, those who know God's forgiveness celebrate that forgiveness. It doesn't matter your personality type, your ethnic background. The gospel leads people of all backgrounds to extravagant praise because God is worthy. Again, you and I, we get excited about many things this side of heaven. We get excited about our sports teams, about pay raises, birthdays, graduations, sickness taken away, and rightly, we celebrate all of those things. And God is reminding us this morning, how much more should we be celebrating our salvation in Christ as God's people? How much more should we celebrate that our sins are forgiven? that God's judgment is no longer resting upon us, but instead his blessing. How much more should we celebrate that Jesus right now has gone to prepare a home for us in glory? And so with the people in Zephaniah's day, we have reasons to rejoice. So people of God, continue to lift up your voices, to sing aloud, unashamed, 
of your faith and Jesus Christ in this world. Let people be small and let God be big in your worship because he is worthy of our praise. And so we hear this call to rejoice and we've considered the nature of this call. And let us think now in verse 17 as we see some reasons to rejoice. And there's two reasons here that I want to highlight for us. Uh, We'll spend most time on the second reason. Uh, But the first reason we're called to rejoice is because God is powerfully present among us. Notice, God says twice to his people, the Lord your God is in your midst. Now this would have encouraged, again, God's people because soon they would have real physical enemies opposing them and they would have no mighty king like David to deliver them. But God says, I will be your king and I will be in your midst and I will be present in your midst, no longer in my judgment, but in my grace to help you, to deliver you. So God says, you will never again fear evil. For God's people, again, this was good news. Part of that judgment was real foreign nations taking them captive. But God is saying, I'm going to be near again to help you. Today, God is still near to his church. God came near in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. The angel said to Mary, rejoice, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The name given to our Savior, the Son of God, was the name Jesus. God saves, and he saves us from our sins. He saves us from the judgment of God. And even after the resurrection and ascension of King Jesus into heaven, he promised to always be with his church in every season of life. He is the King of kings who is still with us by his life-giving Holy Spirit so that in every season of life, even in our church life when there is a vacancy, God might say to his people, I am your good shepherd who will always be with you to guide you and to preserve you as my flock. And so today we sing because we recognize our good shepherd is with us powerfully in our midst to save and to deliver and to guide. He's with us in our trials. And so we continue to lift up our cries to him. But another reason that I want to meditate on with you for a few more minutes is this second reason that I think is just incredible. We worship God because he's powerfully present with us, but secondly, because he is passionate for us. Verse 14, we are called to greatly rejoice in God. But now he tells us in verse 17 that we're called to do this because he greatly rejoices in us. Word of God says in verse 17, He, that is God, will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will rejoice over you with loud singing, or other translations, with shouts of joy or with joyful songs. You know, what does God think about when he thinks about you? You know, if God were to speak about you to someone else, what would he say about you? I remember asking a fellow Christian that question not too long ago. What do you think God thinks of you? And they said, I think God would say he's tired of putting up with me or that he's disappointed by me. I think we could sympathize with that response. I know I can at times. We, we, we feel in our hearts that God, he just must be frustrated with me because I know what I should be doing 
I've been walking with the Lord for these number of years, but I'm still falling into these sins and these bad patterns. Lord, you must be just fed up with me. Right? If you were to write down in your bulletin one word that you think would describe God's thoughts towards you, what would you write down? Maybe disappointed or disgusted or fed up. We wonder, God, how can you still love me when I fall so short of your glory every single day? Brothers and sisters, this is a verse in the Bible, verse 17, that you want to underline and memorize and even preach to yourself when you find yourself falling short of the glory of God. One Old Testament scholar said this is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament because it's a verse that declares the passionate love of God for his people where God says, I am so passionate about my people and I delight in them so much that I sing, that I rejoice over my people. Again, I think one of the main reasons we don't draw near to God in prayer or in Bible reading or in worship is because we think he is repulsed by us. I think about it in human relationships. You don't want to spend time with people that you think don't like you, right? If you think someone just tolerates you or puts up with you, but doesn't really like you, you don't really want to spend time with them. Been married to my wife for 10 years, but I remember early on in our marriage, my wife said to me, honey, I know that you love me, but I'm not sure if you like me very much. I'm not sure if you like me very much. And that was hard to hear, but it was good to hear because it helped us to grow. But when we feel that way about someone, we don't always want to spend time with them. The same is true with God. We will never draw near to God in true worship as long as we think he is repulsed by us. We must take to heart what he says in verse 17, that God sings songs of joy over his people because he delights in us. What a God. God says, I want you to rejoice in me because I rejoice in you. This is not the God of deism who has created this world but disconnected from it, just doing his own thing. This is not some impersonal force that's just guiding things blindly. This is the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the God who sings over his own children with songs of joy. Let's break down some of the imagery here where it says, first, he will rejoice over you with gladness. That's the imagery of a a bridegroom rejoicing over his bride. You might think of that moment when the bride is walking down the aisle and the bridegroom is seeing her for the very first time. I was blessed in Canada to do a number of weddings and it was always a beautiful moment when the bride is coming down and I was making sure the bridegroom's okay, right? Sometimes he's, he's crying. Other times he's just smiling and kind of overcome with emotion. We think about the feeling that's going on in his heart as he sees his bride for the first time coming down the aisle. And God is saying, that is the heart of Jesus towards you, his church. God says that in Isaiah 62, verse 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The second imagery here is of a parent quieting a child with their sweet songs. Notice, God says he will rejoice over you. He will quiet you by his love. 
you know what it's like if you're a parent to, to put your kids to bed at night and maybe it's been a tough day, but when you get to that moment, when you're putting the kids to bed, maybe you take time just to delight in them, to sing with them, sing over them, pray with them, and you enter into this nice time of, of quieting your child with your love. And God is saying, that is, that is my heart towards you, delighting in you, and in my love, quieting your spirit, calming you. This is a great verse because I know that as you hear a sermon like this, if you're like me, you object to it in your heart. You say things in your heart like, no, no, my sin, it's too frequent. It's too obvious before God. There's no way that he could delight in me. But God says in verse 15, if you're in Christ, your judgment is taken away. Perhaps we say, Lord, I feel so much shame because of my sin. I know how dirty I am on the inside. I don't even really love myself very much. But God says in verse 19, I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. God is in the business of covering our nakedness and our shame, and he does so with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that we might know we are holy and accepted in him. Perhaps we say this might be God's love for other people, but not for me. I've fallen so short of keeping my vows to God. I failed as a spouse or as a parent or as a child. There's no way God could love me. I'm disqualified. But Zephaniah says again, he will quiet you by his love. God's love, you see, silences all of the objections of our hearts. Because the love of God told in the Bible is this, Jesus died for sinners. He didn't come for the healthy. He didn't come for those who had it all put together, but he came for the sick. He came for anyone who would know their need for him. God doesn't take lightly our sins. He is holy and he is just, but he has dealt with our sins at the cross of Jesus When Jesus suffered on that cross, beloved, God in human flesh, he cried out, he shouted as one who was forsaken so that this morning we might sing and shout with songs of joy as those who are accepted in the beloved. And so God's grace this morning comes to us and it quiets us as we remember that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. If you've not yet, personally trusted in Jesus, whether you've been raised in the church or you're visiting. Hear the word of Zephaniah and don't push away a God like this. A God who would delight in you. The word of God says that if we come to Jesus and we confess our sins and we trust in him, he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. And you know what else he's faithful to do? He's faithful to put a new song in our hearts. He's faithful to fill our hearts with true joy and to open our lips to sing because we've come to experience his grace. The word of God says he welcomes home even prodigal sons and prodigal daughters, and he welcomes us not with a contract or list of penance to perform, but he actually welcomes us with a celebration of his grace and his love and Jesus Christ. And so people of God, sing to the Lord. Because your God sings over you and rejoices to call you his own. Shout with the voice of triumph even in the midst of your trials. 
because God is powerfully present to save you. May we give God the thanks due his name and praise him not only with our lips, but with our lives as we offer to him ourselves a living sacrifice of praise. Amen. Let's pray. Indeed, our great God in heaven, Father, you know the objections of our hearts to such a beautiful text like this. And so we pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to truly believe that you love us as much as you say you do, that you even delight in us, that you don't simply tolerate us or put up with us, but you actually enjoy us, your creation, that you sent your Son to die for and to redeem, that we might live in fellowship with you, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, giving glory and honor and praise to you for all of eternity. Father, help us to respond to your gracious and unmerited salvation with extravagant and unashamed praise, not only in this place of worship, Lord, but but in our lives. May they be lives lived for the glory of Jesus Christ. And even as we prayed earlier today, may people see our devotion to Christ, the way that we live, and ask for a reason for that hope and joy that is found in us. And may we share with them, Lord, the good news of Christ. God, you are worthy of worship. You are worthy of our praise. Receive it, O Lord, this morning, as we offer it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.